Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, Haiti and its constitutional referendum that won't happen. Yes. Yet again, another delayed uh, event. or two for two in the last two episodes. Haiti is supposed to have a constitutional referendum. The constitutional referendum before it was delayed because of COVID was already very controversial. Um, we'll get into this a little bit later, but it was controversial whether or not the president can make this constitution constitutional referendum was controversial. How long he can be president was controversial. Whether or not he actually was elected fairly to be president is controversial. There's a lot of international players that have things to say, which always makes something controversial. There's mm-hmm. millions of dollars at stake, $17 million, $33 million, or some numbers that I saw around election funding from the UN, but that can wait. Mm-hmm. right goes first how are you kaylee i'm well uh i we i think the previous the last one i was just about to get my vaccine i'm one vaccine good you're one vaccine good yes everything's going everything's trucking along that's the good news this week but i have i i have a very short and related good news kaylee okay as of this morning i'm booked for a second dose haven't wow. you heard? yep yeah I, I didn't hear. I'm very excited for you. Over the moon, even. Um, <laughs> and also, I feel like Canada is starting to look like they're doing pretty well on their vaccine numbers. Are, are yes. we over 75% with first dose now? Uh, yeah, I think so. So everything's on the up and up here. Yeah. And the world is getting pretty well vaccinated. We're like 13% or something worldwide, which <laughs> seems low, but... If you would have asked me a year ago if we'd be like one in seven people on planet Earth would have a vaccine that we just invented, I would have said no. That's pretty crazy. I think the good news of this whole year is like truly how fast this vaccine was created, which I think isn't dwelt on enough that like this came (laughs) together pretty fast. (laughs) Right. So good news, scientists. All right. (laughs) But let's just I mean, okay, we did good news. We, d- we decided not to do good news this week because we have other stuff to talk about. Um, and we're on a deadline today because Kaylee and I have other stuff to do because we're allowed to do things now, <laughs> even though the thing <laughs> that we're doing is still not in person. <laughs> but the Haitian election or the Haitian constitutional mm-hmm. referendum, which really starts with the Haitian election of 2015 slash 2016, which yep. kind of didn't get off the line, right? So we have our, our, our main protagonist here, Jovenel Moise is the president of Haiti. Haiti, for those who don't know, is just south of Florida. It's right next to the Dominican Republic, uh, and Cuba is right there, about 10 or 11 million people, and the poorest country in the Americas, from what I understand. One that has uh, probably the most difficult, probably a few, a hundred years anyway. It's been a tumultuous time. Yes. Canada's previous governor general. Uh, Miquel Jean. Yes, from Haiti. Anyway, we're not talking about her. We're talking about Jovenel Moïse. He was elected president. Background, okay? Background. He was elected president maybe in 2015, right? But he is like, I got like, it, they have a, two, a two-stage presidential election. There's, it's if you don't get more than half, it goes to a runoff vote, right? For the top two. He got like 30-something percent of the vote. So they were going to go to a runoff. He did win the most, but then... Uh, afterwards polls 
suggested that he only won six percent of the vote hmm. and so there was all the there were all these there was huge protests across the country right and then the second round of voting like got delayed got delayed got delayed got delayed because of all this uh, unrest across the country so instead of doing the second round of voting in 2016 they decided okay we're just going to have a fresh election hmm. and this fresh election jovenil moise won again well won again Maybe because we don't know if he won the first one because they're contested, right? Mm -hmm. So it was decided maybe that his term, since it's five years, should start from the end of the 2016 election where he gets uh, put into office or in 2017 when he'd get put into office following the 2016 election. Right? It's kind of like in the U.S. how they have the election November and then they're installed mm -hmm. the following January. So it's a turnover in years. So at this point, we don't know if he was actually elected, but he's been president for a few years, and it's debated whether or not his term ends February 7th, 2021, or February 7th, 2022, because people are saying his term should start from the first election win or the second election win. He says the second election win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty much everybody else says the first election win. And so this is this is kind of where we're at. This is the, the setting for all of this unrest. Uh, these uh, protests that have been going on for a long time. And now, given his controversial status as president, he has also tried to have this constitutional referendum put into place. And Kaylee, maybe you can run us through what he wants to do with the referendum and maybe yeah. uh, how the <laughs> how the Supreme Court has figured his current presidency and what they've done. Yeah. Where do we so, go from here? <laughs> so, the, and I think it, it, as a start, like for people who are wondering, uh, the Constitution, um, and, and, and I'm sure many of you know this, but it really, it lays out the rules for the terms that you'll serve, how the balance of power is structured, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and helps resolve these sorts of conflicts, right? So in theory, the Constitution would say, you know, from five, February 7th, this many, five years is or is it five years? Yeah, five, yeah, years, five is years is the um, is the interval of time that they can serve exactly, and then the Supreme Court can uh, is divided as the body that can sort of review the Constitution, review legality as certain powers. It means that the the House the the rep the House of Representatives um, also has a certain amount of power, and the Prime Minister also has a certain amount of power in Haiti. Mm. Interestingly, uh, Haiti has a presidential prime minister sort of a system with a president and a prime minister. Um, anyway, so this is all laid out in the Constitution of Haiti. The Constitution of Haiti, again, importantly, says that um, ref uh, that uh, amendments can't be made, like that it is not to be changed in this way um, via referendum. Um, and so it is already quite controversial, both for the, the president to be trying to make any sort of change to the, the constitution when it, it sort of explicitly says that they shouldn't, um, and then for him to be so unpopular, um, and for the, him to be leading these changes to be it, itself so like unpopular, it's not supported by other bodies or civil society or private sector, etc. There's not mm -hmm. a lot of universal support. What he specifically wants as well sort of triggers a lot of this anxiety because it is to do with the amount of power he has. So it would um, be the abolition of the Senate and the creation of a, a unicameral legislature, which um, I think we've talked about previously, but it just means that it would be a one house 
Um, there would be no senators. There would just be one house of representatives. Yes. We have summer school episodes on all of this stuff. We have on semi-presidential and presidential systems uh, for how he wants to get rid of the prime minister. And also we have unicameralism versus bicameralism for <laughs> the abolition of the Senate. Uh, and I don't think we have anything on constitutions, but we do have one on the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Which, so well, yeah, it'll help if you want background information on any of this stuff, we have you covered with summer schools previously. <laughs> but <laughs> go ahead. And yeah, so the modification of the electoral system to be uh, for presidential elections. So changing it from a two round system uh, to one held in one round under first past the post voting. Um, so the the issue that he had had in the previous one where he had to he had to go to a second round of voting because he didn't get a, a, a majority um, mm-hmm. wouldn't exist anymore he would just win even if he'd only gotten 37 percent of the vote mm-hmm. um, and modification of the presidential term limit allowing for two consecutive five-year ter- terms um, removing the requirement for a five-year interval before being eligible to serve a second term mm-hmm. so I think especially in in sort of what you've heard from Alex's like intro to Haiti and then also um, what I'm sort of saying about how there is a lack of support from there's a lack of unanimous support that the people don't have confidence in the government, um, the other bodies of government, the the Supreme Court, uh, civil society. um, None of these bodies are like, yes, this is a good idea and we support you um, or that we particularly have confidence in you. And so making these changes even in a situation where there was all this confidence would be very uh, complicated uh, because specifically it is laid out in the constitution that you should not be able to just make these changes. Um, But it's even more unlikely uh, with this much distrust and unrest. Yes, because like the constitution should be completely rewritten open to any changes, right? When like from what they say and these proposed changes were put in place with no constitutional council being formed to rewrite like in like in back the last time the constitution was changed in 1987 so you don't have this council put in place there was no electoral council in place when he was elected and there still is not now so there's all these issues in place like around the legitimacy of whether or not you can even have this president or whether or not these amendments can be proposed which seems like they can't and i think just to like lay it all out specifically the proposed changes to the constitution basically all consolidate power with the president right Mm -hmm. it removes it removes a whole branch of government in the senate it removes the prime minister completely so it it takes it from a prime minister and a president to just a president removes a wing uh, um, and also makes it so president doesn't have to win basically two elections in a row only one election and lets him serve longer so it's easier to get elected you're there for longer and you have two fewer checks and balances of three basically yeah (laughs) so it really consolidates a lot of power especially for a president who seems to have only gotten from runoff polls or not runoff polls from exit polls uh only six percent of the vote to become president right uh and so this plays out in like the un oversight of how angry people are with how election funding even happened in the first place for those original Mm -hmm. elections right yeah. So and and so the and the Haiti is a it's a it's a complicated situation with a lot of uh, international interests in in it. So the UN is heavily involved and requires significant uh, uh, international donor UN funding in order to be able to functionally run um, their referendum and the ref- proposed referendum first of all, but also particularly the election. So and and there is just as a as a state that the U.S. has been really heavily involved. They have sort of said that 
the repeatedly that they think that the referendum is a is a bad idea um and and that the elections um there should be immediate elections although they have supported ultimately or they ultimately sided with the uh, Moise, the current president mm-hmm. um and and so and the similarly most uh, uh most other sort of inter- interested countries uh have sided with the current president in terms of allowing him to uh not immediately calling for him to leave office but requiring him to have an election as as quickly as sort of possible um and and so a lot of this is sort of an interesting if you want to see how it's playing out i i think in terms of the u i definitely recommend looking at sort of uh in interviews and, and conversations with the un um that has to have had to occur with the president um mm. he is he has had to answer a lot of questions a lot of uncomfortable questions for haiti's representative at the un um of them trying to sort of explain because they receive so much funding and and there is so much international interest in them uh, i think i think also a lot of uh, haitian sort of immigrants that live in countries like the us and countries like canada have a very active uh, voice and and are, are quite vocal so they're also able to get their countries to pay attention and 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 and, and put pressure on um so it's a it's a situation where it is a country that is going to have to is is kind of on this edge a lot of the time, but is also very heavily scrutinized with a lot of people trying to get involved in in you know, in the process, um, which is kind of interesting. And speaking of other people getting involved, <laughs> there is an interim president of Haiti, right? That it seems that is not spoken of, <laughs> is that the Supreme Court appointed a judge to be the interim president, Joseph Messin Jean-Louis, to be the interim president of Haiti. But he has not like taken over those duties as of yet. And instead, Jovenel Moïse is still is still like the acting president of yes. Haiti. And 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 interestingly, he did dismiss um the all the other elected officials pretty much um around in, in February around February seventh. Uh, 2021 because their terms uh he said were up officially um mm-hmm. so so there's a and also there's a, a supposed attempted coup that saw the arrest of a few uh, judges and uh, officials um yes. around that time as well so there it is uh, a precarious uh moment uh for democracy as as it is in haiti and i think something that's important uh to know is that, like a lot of um uh, a lot of the academics and the thinkers that I I've been reading in preparation for this would say that there actually probably is a need for some constitutional reform in Haiti that there mm-hmm. is that there are some some issues with how the government is laid out and that needs to be addressed. Um, they I think they would all highlight corruption is a major issue that actually probably needs to be addressed first, but maybe the constitution is part of that solution. Um, mm-hmm. So, so it's not to say that Haiti, that that constitutional reform, and I think we're we're, we're maybe just going to get into this constitutional reform should never happen. But it is there is a lot to point to here of the vulnerability of constitutional reform that that it can create a sort of power. It can be an opportunity to seize power, um, mm-hmm. and so it's a pretty tricky line to walk. Mm-hmm. There have obviously been amendments and changes to constitutions previously, like in Haiti, like itself in 1987 um i think recently in canada there's been discussion of provinces ability to amend aspects of the charter which refer specifically uh, in language to that 
subnational entity (laughs) Um, and whether or not that can happen and what that even means and what a nation is who knows what a nation is i mean stephen harper would say that (laughs) a nation is different than a sovereign group Mm -hmm. Uh, but so like constitutions do get changed uh i mean notably we often talk about like the uh the united states constitution people always talk about the amendments to the constitution and rarely to the constitution itself the original document uh and so what like how does it normally happen and what's a good way (laughs) i guess what's the typical way for a constitution to be amended so i think it's 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 a complicated question right because every country is going to do it slightly differently um, and there are processes of amendments that are extremely hard that put a lot of that require a lot of um, a lot of support in order to get there. And then there are processes that are a little more flexible. Um, I think interestingly, when you bring up the U.S., a lot of the amendments are very old. It, they haven't mm-hmm. actually been uh, made until recently, and that's because it's actually pretty hard. You need about two thirds of each house of Congress, and then it, um, and then it has to be ratified. Um, by three-fourths of the states. Um, so you'd basically require a majority. Um, there, there'd be no, like any significant political body could have a veto power over any attempted amendment in the U.S. And so I think um, as well, if you consider Canada, that is also a place, we are also a country that has not had an amendment to our constitution, which we've, we've talked about previously, is a lot of different documents, but the, the last major amendment to uh, or addition to it um, would be the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Constitution Act of 1982. And we haven't been able to do that since because it is also similarly very hard. Um, it is, uh, I think you need at least, uh, you need the Parliament, uh, the Senate, and um, a, a minimum, it's like 7 plus 50, so you probably need about uh, 50% of the total population of Canada uh, across province. Uh, so you'd need enough provinces to add up to 50% of the population of Canada in order mm-hmm. to make any changes. So so these are two processes that, I mean, in a, any sort of divided uh, society or a society that has any divisions would be quite hard to get through. Yeah. And in the U.S., we can see how that has been hard because uh, <laughs> it was written, I mean, both of our documents, so both of the countries, our, our documents are very old. Canada's like sort of charter is, uh, the rights and freedoms is a bit newer. So it, it has some modern language. It has some ability to account for some more modern developments but the u.s some of their rights are really having to be interpreted um through very very old language yeah that seems like an interesting way that amend or modifications to constitutional documents are made is through the interpretation of what the amendments to the constitution are rather than by actually amending it which we don't have to get into the whole debate about what the job of a juror is to do. Like, does a judge legislate? I think a lot of the time, um, especially in the United States, and typically we'll hear about this more of like the actual um, like legislating done by the Supreme Court um, through interpretations of what laws are supposed to mean or what they actually what they you know actually quote unquote <laughs> mean yeah um and so, i mean that seems like a way that constitutions are changed in like the the de facto interpretation of them i guess rather than the i don't know if that would actually be the de jure interpretation of them but mm. <laughs> <laughs> but the application of them changes even though the document itself doesn't change necessarily right yeah yeah 
and and so and that's what it 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 it, it does yeah it rec- you're, you're putting a lot of onus on in, on interpretation and and i think you if you talk to canadians and if you talk to americans i think that there are plenty of them that would say yeah we might need to rework some of these things or there might, might need to be an update i think um uh, that but that is not in the foreseeable future I think for any uh, I, I don't think anybody in Canada particularly imagines that constitutional uh, reform will happen anytime soon it is it mm-hmm. would be very difficult um, and and I think similarly I don't know if there is much appetite for it in the US but I don't think similar I think similarly it would be very challenging you couldn't imagine it happening I think so there are sort of examples that we have covered of constitutional reform mm-hmm. that are a little bit easier uh, but certainly still have a hard, high bar to entry. Um, thinking of Australia um, and or Australia particularly with uh, same-sex marriage, uh, mm-hmm. where they they so their bar of changing the constitution was it has to pass in the legislature and then be submitted to the people for a referendum. Uh, so that is again that's pretty similar to I guess the approach that Haiti is is taking in principle, but. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, but there is more unanimous, like there was, uh, it had to be passed by, uh, I think a a majority. So, um, and in Australia, um, this was cross party support. It did get Mm. voted through and then it it had to pass by majority vote, uh, via referendum. Um, yeah. So that would be an example of sort of, uh, a situation where you have civil society actors, you have private public sector and you have government kind of coming together and saying we have contributed to this idea we have thought through the process and now we're now we're going to vote on it mm-hmm. which is maybe more flexible yeah and seemingly like a single modification to the the constitution can be proposed and voted on rather than we're going to modify the constitution and then once it's opened it seems as though i mean this is why yes. the appetite is often so is so low right is that yeah Typically, the Constitution will be open for rewriting and reinterpretation in its entirety. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, like, I feel like a lot of, like, Canadians would be, would say, okay, let's get rid of the monarchy. Sure, it doesn't seem like that big a deal and it doesn't really affect that much of Canadian life. But that comes with it. A lot of <laughs> um, baggage with what other things might be added or changed yes. or removed from the Constitution or the country <laughs> and, and the amount of power it gives to the person yeah. who, or the group that is currently in power and and so yeah. i think that that is something that i said to you before i think we started recording but the question is how do we make this hard but also uh not too hard and mm-hmm. it is um it is a very tricky balance that um i think that even even in this australia situation i think ireland has a similar process uh, it doesn't always work and if your society becomes too divided it might be it might be impossible to do but there yeah you're how do you create an evolving structure that doesn't give too much power to any one person is is the big question well i mean we don't have to get like often constitutions don't really have to be changed that much either right like it's it's difficult because really they're the rules by which you play they're not the laws typically there are rights normally enshrined within them Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's up for debate whether or not those rights are actually inalienable human rights (laughs) Um, uh, so so that's kind of a weird way in which sometimes constitutions move into like actual legislation but typically really all they do is say 
hey, these are like the most basic human rights. And mm -hmm. these are the rules by which the government works. Like these are the the bodies of government and stuff. Like they're not mm -hmm. that complicated, big documents, right? Like they're pretty... Yeah. They're pretty vague often even in like <laughs> what they say. They're like, this is the president. They take office this date after this election. This is how long it takes. Yeah. And that's it. Like they're pretty, they're pretty often bare bones documents. So it's not like, oh, there's typically a whole huge number of reasons why you would want to even open these things up and change them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in a best case scenario, you're not doing it very often. So. <laughs> yes. So. I think that's Haiti. I think that's uh, constitutional modifications and referenda. Um, so instead of talking about president of Haiti being elected or changes to yeah. them and, and how the UN interacts with them, let's flip it and talk about the elections recently at the UN, Kaylee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess um, this is the, the exciting point where another good news moment. I get to announce to you that our time spent on the pod talking about Gutierrez gets to continue. Antonio Gutierrez, <laughs> Secretary General of the UN, gets to continue for another another term. He is mm -hmm. he has been officially reelected, um, pretty unanimously. The Security Council put him up, and then the General Assembly um, approved him. Uh, I read that there was immediate uh, standing applause after his election. Um, so people, he's he's pretty universally popular. Um, Portugal was the only country to put forward a candidate. He was the candidate for them. Um, so there was he was technically unchallenged. Un, uh, um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so he is, he is through. He is going to get a second term. It'll be interesting, I think, to see how, uh, how his second term goes um, and how, how things continue. If he, does he continue to, I think, as he says, that he is in principle a, a very multilateral, he takes a very multilateral approach. And again, I think you see by sort of the unanimous, unanimous nature of his election, the applause, um, uh, I think that uh, you see that he's, he's somebody whose approach is to, uh, is not to be particularly controversial, but to try and build relations um, and work uh, with people in order to achieve things rather than maybe stirring up a pot. Uh, which is uh, something that sort of outside uh, uh, observers have maybe been critical of, um, but it is also our flip. The flip side of that is is also argued that it it may be the approach to getting things done um, within the body of, of the UN, uh, and and with when you have a Security Council that contains you know actors like Russia, China, and the US that all have uh, so much power and such a veto on mm. getting things done. But yes, there is some thought that maybe his second term he will push more strongly because he will have, you know, he's done, he's gotten to the second term. Um, so there's some thought that maybe on issues like climate change, um, what is happening in 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 uh, in China with uh, with uh, the concentration camps, uh, what has happened, uh, and 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 other various human rights violations, he will he will be more forceful. There's mm -hmm. also some hope that he is also, I think important to acknowledge that he got into he got the position like a couple of weeks before trump got elected uh donald mm -hmm. trump in the u.s and his and donald trump's first move one of his early moves relating to the u.n was to defund or stop a lot of funding um so so he has been trying to manage that in addition to uh covid19 for a good chunk of his term and a number of other things so there's some hope although i don't know why we wouldn't predict more chaos <laughs> 
necessarily. <laughs> There's some hope that maybe he will be able to be more forceful and uh, focused on on some of the issues that we know he cares about that we've talked about relating to climate change, migration, um, uh, equality, and 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 generally like um, a dig- greater digital equality is one of the things he he really listed as being important to him. Um, and, mm-hmm. and elevating out of property. So there's hopeful, hopefully that maybe that could happen, but we'll keep you posted. Okay. It's always this, this second term thing with politicians that can only be elected two times, right? It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> why? <laughs> let's just make everybody only be allowed elected one time and then maybe they'll just, they, they got to set up their legacy right away. Yeah. Um, but especially with the, yeah, the secretary general, which is just basically, yeah, is, is, is sometimes just a, a very high ranking civil servant uh, yeah. more than anything. All right. Well, good, good news, I guess, for Antonio, if you're a fan of Antonio yeah. Gutierrez. Um, if you're not, well, you only have a few more years. And then I'm not sure I Didn't know start. anybody who has actual opinions. On <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah. He seems popular amongst most people who actually care. Uh, but I hear you have some big numbers to throw around for some science news. Space news. Yes. <laughs> science news this week, not space news. So, Kaylee, this week um, we're talking about something that's like kind of more related to actually what I do, but still not at all. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, nanoparticles exist, right? Nanoparticles are just very very tiny particles right so like a nanoparticle is the in in relative terms like a soccer ball is times smaller than the earth mm-hmm. as a nanoparticle is times smaller than a soccer ball so if you shrunk down the earth to a soccer ball the ratio of that soccer ball to a nanoparticle is the same so they are okay extremely tiny Small. right yeah you could fit you know, thousands of them in the thickness of a piece of paper. Okay. So basically they're little tiny balls um, and we can use them to like put stuff on. Um, typically in, in, in this case, it's for um, tumor delivery of drugs. Okay. So mm-hmm. you basically put the drug on this nanoparticle and then that nanoparticle will deliver it to somewhere in the body. Okay. Yeah. Rather than just rather than just putting the drug into the body itself, because it was originally thought that these nanoparticles, because their little balls were like would accumulate in certain regions. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we could target where they would accumulate in your body and find a way to target that to like where cancer is. And then you could get all the drug there instead of the drug acting everywhere in your body and making you lose your hair Um, and all the other like bad effects of chemotherapy. Right. Mm -hmm. So this has been a goal for a long time is nanoparticle idea. Yeah, it, it, it's, it seemed like a pretty good idea. Um, a big issue, though, is that these things seem to... There's a lot of, like, different ideas of, like, where they'll accumulate in your body. Often they'll go to, like, a lot of spots that have, like, a lot of vasculature or stuff that removes things. So, like, they get stuck in the liver because the liver clears things out of your blood. Um, they get stuck in your lungs because you have all these, like, small capillaries and everything, right? So they all get kind of accumulated there. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of like this weird difference in efficacy of whether or not sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And really, it's because typically with like a drug, right, we would 
dose it by like the concentration of molecules in your body and that's kind of like a typical way that we would think about things like you you have like you know 50 kilograms of water in you whatever then you take the drug and say okay we need to have this much per mil of water and you're approximately all water so we just give you that much and it goes everywhere (laughs) um but with the nanoparticle it's kind of weird because we have you have different ways to look at how many of it there are like you could count the actual individual particles you could look at the weight of the particles in total you could look at um like once they maybe they'll dissolve and turn into like ions so are you looking at the individual like molecules total or what are you looking at the concentration of total mass or anything so there's different ways to count particles you can look at like the total surface area if they're different shapes or sizes and stuff so basically this was kind of an issue for a long time of knowing Mm -hmm. what number to use and how to measure how much of it is going in (laughs) to your body right so a lot of times people are like okay we have this mass of particles going in but it turns out and this is going to sound like it's a really simple thing to know but it was actually really complicated (laughs) and nobody thought about it for a long time is that (laughs) This, this group from uh, the University of Toronto, actually, in Canada, uh, did this literature search, and they looked at all these different papers, and they reviewed them, and they thought, these people all measure their number of particles in different ways, or how much particles in different ways. And it turns out that once they normalized how they were looking at them all, the thing that actually mattered was just how many individual particles you had. doesn't matter how how much they weigh in total or anything it's just if you have a trillion particles or more you're good if you have less than a trillion particles you're not good (laughs) oh yeah yeah so that seems easy basically yeah it seems obvious right it's like well count how many you have (laughs) Um, but basically they found that there's this one specific type of cell in your liver that clears particles really well out of your bloodstream Um, and if you have And instead of being how much mass of particle they can get out, it's just literally the number of them, which was, it's very, it's counterintuitive if you actually think about how these cells work. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess at this point kind of makes sense. And so this was kind of like really interesting work of scientists just looking at a bunch of data that a lot of other experts had, but they put it all together and they thought, well, just let's actually just count. (laughs) Let's actually just count how many. And they realized that, Basically, in a day, at least for mice, this certain type mm-hmm. of cell can clear a trillion particles from your blood. Any more than that, it just they just stay in your blood circulating, and then from there they can go to the cancer. So this shows this has like good applications potentially for getting over this hurdle of like why some uh, why some applications work and some why some treatments don't and everything. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's just taking stepping back looking at everybody else's data and saying, wait, let's just hold the phone. Let's ask somebody, how would you count the number of balls in a room? It's like, well, I'd (laughs) count the number of balls in a room. Yeah. Um, So it's really cool. Uh, Basically, I mean, they did their own studies, but also they were really informed by looking really deeply at everybody else's stuff and just one guy with a spreadsheet putting it all in and saying, wait, okay, how many particles do they have? How many particles do they have? How many particles do they have? (laughs) Um, And they found this one trillion threshold, which was unexpected, but very interesting. I think... Uh, you know i think we're both phd students so maybe we both have a mutual (laughs) agreement that literature reviews they're surprisingly very useful Uh, yes but uh, for our audience 
literature reviews really an important activity <laughs> for, yeah. for academics and researchers <laughs> they they looked through um 117 papers and a lot of those papers just didn't rationalize their choice of how many particles they were using they were going by like mm-hmm. migs per kilogram like you would with a drug or something um and so they they just put a spreadsheet together calculated it all out tried to like back calculate what they were doing and there you go just think harder than other people i guess sometimes you get there <laughs> <laughs> and it comes out to a nice round one trillion number which is nice to wow. have it's just well how many do you need and you finally have the answer one trillion that's uh, uh that's very beautiful and you're it truly is it's one trillion it's not like one trillion no it's five. one trillion okay uh the median dose was 1.2 trillion nanoparticles which is and in their experiments, that was like by looking at everybody, so they didn't have like exactly like round numbers. In their mm-hmm. experience, in their experiments, they came out to one trillion. Oh wow! So right. there it is. Uh, if you ever feel like you're not getting anywhere, just <laughs> just look at other people's data. Anyway, yes. thank you for listening to Probably About Politics. This was uh, COVID vaccines. This was. Haitian <laughs> referendum. This was Haitian presidency. This was UN presidency. This was a trillion nanoparticles. We looked everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you like what you heard, remember to give us a thumbs up, share the podcast, send us a tweet at ProBPolitics on Twitter, follow us on Instagram at ProBPolitics, or send us an email at ProBPolitics at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We love you all. And if you want to hear more, sign up for the newsletter. See you next time. Bye.